1: and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Those are the sounds of victory horns for two new champions. Now, we're... Going to get one, no matter what, whether it be Cyril Gunn or John Jones in the main event, ended up being John Jones. But s- starting this post-fight show saying there's two new UFC champions is something that, honestly, I didn't think I would say. But Alexa Grasso proved me and a lot of other people wrong. She has ended the dominant reign of Valentina Shevchenko Alexa Grasso is the flyweight champion of the world to welcome you to the UFC 285 Live post-fight show here on MAFighting.com. I am Mike Heck. Hope you guys all enjoyed this card. It was incredible. All the storylines, all the buzz, everything about it, this thing delivered in spades. Thank you for joining us. I got Shaheen Alshadi with me, my bald brother.
3: What's up, guys? Look at at the legends, Mike Heck and Jed Mishu, helping us out here at like 3.30 a.m. their time. Credit to you guys. Thank you. Sheen, and I'm
4: going to be honest with you, ahead. Shaheen. <laughs> time is much, it's not really my primary problem that I'm dealing with at this moment. Oh.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> not all that concerned about it being three in the morning, Shaheen. Hey, guys. Happy to be here.
3: Are you oh, going to be yeah. able to pay your rent tomorrow?
4: Never gamble with money you can't lose. You also shouldn't gamble with money that you would rather not lose, but definitely never gamble with money you can't lose. And I at least um, adhered to that principle. So, yeah. Great Man. night of fights though, guys. It was. <laughs> incredible <laughs> night. New, really an incredible New night. champions, plural. That's wonderful.
2: Yeah. I, I just want to bring up your heartbreak one quick point it reminded me of, like there was an episode of the simpsons where like lisa oh, Simpson yes. dumped ralph wiggum and it was like on vhs tape and bart simpson like slowed it down and you could see like the exact moment that ralph wiggum's heart just broke and that's what it was like watching that clip on twitter of that oh you moment. can see it oh yeah. I, you can I see the exact moment to
4: my thing because you can you can <laughs> point it out I've rewatched it many times because it's easier to uh, look at your own tragedy through that lens than to look inward and, and really reckon with it. Uh, and you can see it right there. It's like, oh, yep, that's that's where the face drops. God.
3: Man. So the, the If MMA you guys gods- are having
4: a great night, go to my Twitter.
3: Cheer yourself
4: up with a little bit of The
3: The blood gods tried to warn you last time, man. They tried to give you a heads up a warning ahead of time this is gonna happen you didn't listen you defied
4: the super didn't listen it's like uh, unnecessary why would I do that I I can't be touched I'm invincible (laughs) I I, I survived this nothing can kill me I was wrong but you know you live you learn woo
2: Well, we will get into the moment that caused that heartbreak in a matter of moments, but let us begin with the big story heading into this card. We had a million questions about John Jones. What was putting all that weight going to make him look like? Will he be the same John Jones? Was it a lack of motivation the last few title fights at 205? How is he going to handle a very unique heavyweight in Cyril Ghosn who's big and moves around really well and can strike incredibly? Maybe his... Wrestling is a is a bit underrated because of the Francis fight. And John Jones just goes out there, Shaheen Al-Shadi, and wipes the floor with Cyril gone. Took him down immediately. Cyril tried to get up. John just dragged him back to the mat. Tried a ghillie, let it go, reattached it. And a little over two minutes after this thing started, it was over. And John Jones is the heavyweight champion of the world. Your reaction to the two minutes and change of John Jones's return to the Octagon after over three years away from it.
3: I mean, man, what, what can you say, right? Like this, the king is back, return of the king, the king is back. Like like maybe all of that conversation we've been hearing for so long about motivation and lack thereof and just sort of the what we've seen from John since 2018 really, 2019, 20, and 21, we sort of saw the same thing from him. Maybe that wasn't lip service. Right. Like maybe I mean, I'm not even maybe like this is the greatest talent I have ever seen in mixed martial arts. Uh, he is the best fighter ever. I don't know if he's the GOAT and the greatest. I, I kind of almost feel like he is at this point. I, I didn't expect to say that coming down here today because I've been I've been so for so long. I have been on the GSP corner and, and there are a lot of factors that go into that. But to me, I didn't I, going into this fight. I didn't feel like there was something I could see from John. That would sway me in that way with one fight to be able to change that conversation for me. And I I think I might have, if I'm being honest. I, I'm trying to not be reactionary in the moment. But man, that that's the greatest talent that MMA has ever seen. If to see him come in here at heavyweight, we had so many questions about, you know, he hasn't looked good in five years. He hasn't looked like John Jones in so long. We've seen him before try to bring in extra muscle against the OSP fights and those type of thing situations. And he didn't look particularly good. How would he handle the extra weight? All of it. And the man, hey, the man had a fall this victory. Like it was, it was as perfect as he could have drawn it up. I think it was easier than any of us could have ever really expected. And he came in here just to looking to make a statement. And, and I mean, man, he did it. We really did it. John Jones did it. Like he did it so easily that it it it, it still is def- like I'm still trying to process how easily. All of that was for him. Uh, it bums me out tremendously that we can't see him fight the best heavyweight in the world and see where he truly stands in this regard. Uh, obviously, talking about Francis, that would that that matchup now is just like the the matchup the Habib Tony. Uh, of the heavyweight division now for me. like That will be the one that we lost that I wish forever that we could have seen because it seems like the UFC and Dana White in particular are just saying that's not ever going to happen and there's no going back on that. I would have loved to see it because seeing the John that we got tonight against the Francis that we know who he is, that would just tell us so much just in a historical context and just all of it. But, I mean, man, just coming away from this, John Jones, dude's the GOAT. I got to say, He dude's the goat. He's he's the heavyweight king right now, uh, at least in the UFC. And, and that was one of the most impressive performances I've seen from him over the course of a very impressive career. Like, you go over so many different title wins that this man has had, and that might be right up there at the very top. That was just supremely, supremely impressive. You cannot take anything away from it.
2: Jed, I, I know you're tending to a broken heart, but John Jones made the walk, had to take some tape off his toes, and then he went in there and just... Ran over Cyril Gunn. What was your reaction to it? I, I don't think John winning was a big surprise to you, but the way he did it and as quickly as he did it, was that surprising to you?
4: So I think you have to say as quickly as he did it. Like nobody expected that. The way, um, little of column A, little of column B, my long and overarching problem with John Jones, the fighter, not speaking to the rest of it, but to the fighter. And I said it—I think on BTL. I've said it on a number of things. Certainly talked about it at uh, on No Bet's Bar this week. John gets a ton of credit for being a really smart fighter, and I'm not—I'm not here to say that that's wrong. Uh, I—I stand on the corner that John has spent much of his career fighting in the worst way possible. Uh, it's hard to argue with the results but he is not a very good uh kickboxer like he's serviceable and he's very long and those two things have tricked him in some ways to do believing that but john jones is the best clinch fighter in the history of the sport as far as i'm concerned and he's either one or two the best top position grappler in the sport like it's those are where he has been dominant. And when you look at the highlights from him, UFC posted a highlight video, you know, uh, earlier this week about his dominant run through light heavyweight. It was spinning elbows out of the clinch basically. And just him do, just doing people dirty in those positions where he thrives, not his jab fest against Rashad Evans and stuff like that. Like that's just not it. He, he went to that almost immediately and he told us that he was going to do it. And I, wasn't really sure that he was going to because he had said stuff like that before. And like he could have done it to Tiago Santos. He just never did. I didn't know if that was just not in him or whatever. Uh, but if he's going to fight to his strengths, then there's not a man alive who's going to beat that dude up. Like it's just not. Um, and we, we saw that if you told me, no, he's actually going to like do the, do the thing, like the good thing. I am mean, like, Oh, he's going to kill zero <laughs> uh, because he would kill anybody except maybe francis and possibly even francis so my takeaways are similar to shaheen in that it's a real shame that we're not going to get that francis fight that sucks all the ass uh it's very weird that the two what if fights for john's career now will be very similar in the rumble johnson fight that never happened to light heavyweight and then heavier rumble johnson and francis singanu like those are the two fights that we just won't ever get but i won't say that we won't ever get them because shaheen said the ufc seems intent not to be doing that dana white had some very pointed statements after i will for the sake of doing it raise the point that one dana white has said a number of things that are untrue constantly and almost always uh the most salient one for this conversation being John Jones will never headline another event again. That was like seven years ago, how the times have turned, you know, like he look at where we are now. Dana could not have been more glowing post fight about John Jones. And, you know, for a lot of good reasons, like a dude is at worst, the second best heavyweight in the world and looks unbelievable and is all these things, the greatest fighter of all time, et cetera, et cetera. But I will say that I don't think it's, it's a, Signed, sealed, and delivered that we never get it, Um and so I am just holding on hope that somehow he goes and beats Stipe because John is going to mow down Stipe, uh, and then cooler heads prevail, and the UFC figures out a way to make this happen in a one-off situation, and, and we get the fight finally that we've all been wanting.
2: Yeah, I think they'll take a shot. Adam if he go if especially if John goes out and does what you say he will do to Steve and I think a lot of people feel he's gonna that.
3: murder he's Stipe. definitely yeah. gonna
2: he's yeah I'd I agree with that but if John goes on the mic and says Fran, you know and calls Francis out in that moment and doesn't just like a, goes respond to calls him at a, a press conference
4: a big muscly pussy Is that he's gonna yeah. go and call him
2: I mean just do it when Joe Rogan has the mic in front of you and it'll have a little more you know a little more oomph to it than it did before but I would say like the one thing that kind of surprised me, Shaheen, is that if you told me how that first round was going to play out, I thought John was going to play a very cautious game. And I know Michael Bisping kind of broke down the fight, and and I kind of agreed with him where John was going to kind of be on the outside; he wasn't going to be too aggressive. He was going to let Cyril kind of get a little frustrated and come to him, and then John would make his move. And John got in that octagon, and as soon as that fight started, he just marched Cyril gone down. And he did it nonstop. He pushed forward, had Cyril on the back foot the entire time, and I was surprised by that. And then immediately, as soon as Cyril tried to do anything to get out of that position, that's when John landed that takedown, and it was a wrap. John was just on it, like, I mean, just the walkout and everything. You saw it in his face. He was just on one tonight, and I'm just – it was just so damn impressive, man. Like, it was just so damn impressive. And even Stipe, like, Stipe's not the most charismatic individual of all time. But even Mm -hmm. when John was calling Stipe out in the crowd, like, Stipe's just sitting there, and, yeah, he understands he's about to get a big bag of money to go fight John Jones – but there might have been a part of that man that was like, uh-oh, this, this was not the guy that I expected to show up tonight. So I, I just don't know if this fight goes very well for Stipe, as you and Jed both said. <laughs>
3: No, I hundred percent agree with that take. I mean, I think John Jones is just going to run through Stipe. I I always thought John Stipe was one of the better matchups for John at heavyweight, just because size wise, right? Like he's just not this super imposing Brock Lesnar, Francis Ngannou type who's just going to come at you with two hundred and seventy pounds. Uh, he was more somebody closer to John's size, and John's just better at the things that Stipe more or less is good at. And now Stipe Miocic is forty years old. Like this isn't even the Stipe who was fighting DC in the DC trilogy. Like this is. probably the worst version of Stipe we will ever get in terms of his championship career, right? Like, again, 40 years old, the bottom falls out for everybody at some point. So I agree. I think John Jones is going to run through that fight, and I I do hope, like Jed said, that we can somehow, cooler heads prevail, we can get the Francis fight, because I think historically that is now a very important fight just in how we see a lot of these guys and can put them in context with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I agree with everything you said there, Mike, as well, in terms of just being surprised by the manner in which... Tonight played out, but also just the manner in which John approached it, right? Because I would have thought just even coming in off of as long of a layoff as this man has had, which is the longest layoff of his whole entire career, three years. And it's just like you wouldn't expect that someone coming into that situation, three-year layoff, new division, all this new weight that he's carrying into the cage – I thought that those first few minutes, that first round, I mean, we a lot of us said it throughout the week that this fight could just be generally very boring if, if it played out in a certain way that it felt like it could with a John style of victory. And you're right, man. He pressured from the moment that bell rang. Like, he was on that forward pressure just walking Cyril down from Jump Street, and he was just not giving Cyril an inch. And it was, again, masterful... Uh, game planning, masterful approach to be able to put it into execution after so long away, that was masterful in and of itself. And you said, Mike, that, you know, it felt like something special was happening tonight. You could sort of feel it in the air when John was making his walk and all that. I would extend that out even further, right? Like I think just throughout this week, it has kind of felt you felt it from John a little bit. You've, this was a different type of John than we saw in the last few years of his light heavyweight reign. And again, you can go back to the motivation issue, just brand new challenge, whatever you want to, having such a long break, like whatever you want to attribute it to. In retrospect, it seemed very much like this was just John's week and then the fight night played out exactly in the way that it sort of did. I, it's just so so ridiculously impressive, man. You like, There's nothing you could take away from it. A flawless victory through and through man did it man did it in a way that i think a lot of people didn't expect he could
2: yeah and and part of the whole fight week build to me was john just seemed kind of indifferent about it all like maybe like the hunger wasn't there maybe just wasn't respected Cyril enough but the moment he walked out for ceremonial weigh-ins and he just stood there and like put his arms out and just took it all in i was like all right dude's present like this is this is the john that that we kind of remember, and what a win for him! Obviously, he's he's on to bigger and better things. But Jed Cyril gone, tough loss for him. Goes in there, just gets. I mean, he just gets annihilated. This fight was not competitive at all. And classic Cyril gone shows up at the press conference, answers the questions, handled it like a pro. Felt embarrassed about it, More, a bad moment, but took it on the chin. No surprise there. Where does he go from here? I mean, it's just kind of a tough spot to be in. Loses to Francis, who wrestled him. A lot of people look to the, to the leg lock as, as a big mistake that maybe cost him the heavyweight title. Goes out and, and has a tough fight with Tai Tuivasa, gets the win, and then finds his way into this fight with John Jones. Big moment in his career. is like a dream come true for him. And then two minutes and four seconds later, the dream was just crushed by... Arguably the greatest fighter of all time. So, where does Cyril Gahn go from here?
4: Oh, he's fine. He's got to hang around. It's heavyweight. Look, John Jones could stay at heavyweight and reign for a long time. He's not going to do that. Like, there's over under on number of fights John Jones has remaining. Uh, if I set that line at two and a half, what are you taking?
3: Under. Under. Yeah like it's Stipe it's, and then it, potentially Francis to me that's it
4: it's steep exactly it's stipe and maybe francis and if if francis doesn't happen is he going to fight Curtis Blades he can fight he's not going to fight Sergey Pavlovich like what those aren't stipe outside of being an imminently winnable fight for him has cachet in a way that matters for legacy building you know Cyril didn't but Cyr, what Cyril he was fighting for mattered francis would matter in that same way him beating who I, Tom Aspinall like that just doesn't do anything for his career at this moment. And he, he's not in the market to play this game. He left lay heavyweight cause he didn't want to play this game anymore. He's, he is at most fighting two more times. So Cyril gone is still 32 in a division that is uh, astonishingly old for the most part. And uh, he got, he's got stuff to work on in his game. But you know, if he could not fight Jailton Almeida, he's can continue to thrive and succeed here. so he's just gonna have to wait it out. because um, I would be stone cold flabbergasted if John Jones was still the heavyweight champion by August of next year. Like I just that is just not going to happen. He's going to be done and vacate, and maybe he'll come back in a couple of years if something opens up and appeals to him. But I think that's what we're looking at right now, right, with that that GSP into his career of took some time off, came back, won another, uh, won a championship. He, he's going to fight Stepe, probably leave, and then maybe somebody comes along, he gets the itch in a couple more years and comes out of retirement one more time, but... Yeah, I think Cirogan's okay. Fight any of the random heavyweights. Uh, I don't even remember who all he's beaten off the top of my head. But he maybe you do like a Sergei Spivak just because that's at least a grappler. Maybe we can test that takedown defense a little more, but he'll be fine.
2: We'll talk more about the matchmaking uh, tomorrow and on to the next one in about seven hours from right now. So very excited for that.
0: The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook
1: and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: Shaheen, Alexa Grasso is the flyweight champion of the world. And as as bad as Jed felt uh, about losing the money, uh, I felt a certain way myself uh, because I was with Jed. I didn't see a, even a remote path to victory for Alexa Grasso. I thought this was just going to be the Valentina Certainly,
4: train. Certainly didn't see a submission. No, that wasn't in the, in the books.
2: I thought the Chevy, the the Chevy train was just going to run Alexa Grasso over, but MMA in the 2020s, man, anything can happen. And it certainly did tonight. Alexa Grasso submits Valentina Shevchenko in the fourth round. Shevchenko is up 29, 28 on all three scorecards heading into the fourth. I felt like Shevchenko was on her way to winning round four, although it was competitive And then Shevchenko throws the spinning kick to the body and Alexa Grasso just jumps all over it, takes the back, strangles her. Not even a strangle, just almost ripped her jaw off with that grip, that picture that's all over the internet with Shevchenko's face all red except for like the white mark across her jaw is just insane to look at but Alexa Grasso what a moan for her she shut me up she shut a lot of other people up and she is the damn flyweight champion of the world
3: Shaheen Alshadi Yeah that that picture looks like a PSA for sunscreen like a PSA of the horrors of, <laughs> of the UV rays that the sun'll give you like that looks like the nastiest sun, sunburn you've ever seen in your life that thing is insane to see it to look at Uh yeah man that was uh we were talking about it off air, but that was Weidman-esque, right? Like that was Weidman versus Rockhold all over again. Uh, that's one that Valentina Shevchenko is going to be replaying in the back of her mind of why did I throw that kick over and over again, probably for the rest of her life. Um, and that's just the way it. Cr- the, this the cookie crumbles in MMA, right? Like that is how one of the greatest women's MMA eras, like title reigns ever in the history of women's MMA, that's how it ends. It ends with a just a situation that was very avoidable for Valentina, but ultimately you have to give all the credit in the world to Alexa Grasso, who capitalized on the opportunity, and not only capitalized on the opportunity, but like Alexa brought it all night. Like she was in that fight from the beginning. Uh, I scored the first round to her. She was beating Valentina in the stand up for large portions of that fight. She was forcing Valentina to have to go to a wrestling, and in, in a lot of ways, it was desperation wrestling at various points in that fight. It was such an impressive and frankly surprising performance because i was like you mike i didn't see many paths to victory here for alexa grasso this felt like it would be the rebound from the tyler santos fight that felt like the tyler santos thing you could almost put it aside because you could attribute it to oh tyler's had the strength advantage and tyler had the wrestling that's not something that we're going to see from alexa but oh, there you go, man. Again, that's why they fight the fights. Like it was one of the – it's probably going to be one of the biggest upsets of the year, if not the biggest upset of the year. Um, I, I I would say that it's not – it doesn't really compare to a Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes. To me, that still feels like a bigger upset. If only because we had seen Shevchenko be mortal in her last fight and also just because Alexa Grasso. This wasn't a fluke, right? Like I, th- I f- still feel like the Pena one, that's very fluke-ish. Like, of course, she capitalized on the situation, but that felt like if you run that back 10 times, that's only happening once. I don't know, man. This fight felt very competitive all the way through. Like, I, I wouldn't call this a fluke whatsoever. And if they run back the rematch, it feels like they're going to. I'll probably pick Grasso to win that. And that just frankly comes back to something that we talked about on the preview show in a way that was, like, we mentioned it and we brought it up and we made the case almost, but then we just went the other way with it, right? Of why... <laughs> this could be the time for Valentina Shevchenko, why this could finally be the end for her. And that's because it has been so sneaky long that this woman has been doing this. Her her career, frankly, is singular in that you, you can do not understand how long she has been in this until you actually look at the numbers and see like, oh no, she's on year 20. Like she started so young. She started 2003. The list of... of women who, who had their MMA debuts after her. I'm going to read this off really quickly. Uh, all these women debuted after Valentina Shevchenko, and all of these women are women we would all consider pioneers of women's MMA. Roxanne Monteferi, Shayna Baszler, Julie Kedzie, Sarah Kaufman, Misha Tate, Chris Cyborg, Alexis Davis, Jessica, Jessica Aguilar. Like, Valentina Shevchenko has been in this game longer than all of them. That is crazy, man. The fact that it took this long, that she has been dominant and and so good for so long, uh, for two decades, is is frankly absurd. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And so you had to feel like the bottom of this was going to fall out at some point because time comes for everyone. And Jed said it always, always, over and over. And this is always one of his best points that what's the hardest thing to do in MMA? It's not to become a two-division champion. It's not to win titles in all these various different divisions. It's to defend the same belt over and over and over again. Even if you don't care about the challenger, even if you just get sick of what you're doing, it's to be that person who is there every single time, making it work on your bad nights, making it work on your good nights, and being Demetrius Johnson, being Valentina Shevchenko, racking up this title defenses. Valentina did it for a long time. She did it for a very long time, but eventually that end comes for everyone. Uh, and Alexa Grasso, man, she shined. She shined in her in her moment in a real way uh, in Mexico. Now, man, like the Mexican revival in MMA right now, the moment going on in Mexican MMA is really something special. And I really hope that the UFC cannot fumble the bag on this in the way that they did for UFC Africa, where we had this real moment in time with all these African champions, and we could have had a really special week with an event in Africa. We just completely missed the boat, thinking things are going to last forever, and now none of those guys are champion anymore. I do not want the same thing to happen to what's going on with Mexican MMA right now because if we could go take an event to Mexico City right now and have you know Alexa Grasso be part of it, Brandon Moreno be part of it, Yair Rodriguez be part of it, and just have the, one of the most incredible and special weeks that you could ever possibly put together for that region, and every all, all of those guys and, and women would come off looking like absolute stars, and I just hope the UFC can capitalize because what we saw tonight was absolute magic, uh, and again, you just cannot take anything away for, from Alexa Grasso and what she put off, pulled off tonight.
2: Jed, Alexa Grasso is physical tonight. I didn't... And that was the big X factor for me. That I, I kind of... And I know the Tatiana Soros fight was like a weight class below and it was like five years ago. But that was the one that really stood out to me as like, okay, if there's... If there is a path to victory, it's going to be nullified by the fact that Valentina can just out-physical her. And Alexa Grasso... Who really hasn't shown that real physical presence like she's obviously in shape she's very strong she looks like a really good athlete but when she gets tested in the physical it hasn't really gone well her technique her fighting ability has gotten her very far but when it comes to someone who can just just outmatch her physically she's had problems and that was not a problem tonight how surprised were you that Alexa was just as physical as she was, and not only did she hang with Valentina, she 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 won a lot of those physical exchanges in this fight. I
4: was very surprised, and I think it goes back to what you said, right? Like putting a lot of credence in Tatiana Suarez. Five years ago, she's twenty four. Like the 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 leaps you can take when you move up a weight class, so your body is carrying your weight more naturally. You just develop because you're mm-hmm. no longer. 24 you're now a fully grown human you know you're you're a full-time professional fighter as opposed to maybe just getting into full-time or or developing in that way those are big strides and absolutely it was there uh that was one of the most impressive parts of Grasso's game I do think though that part of it ties into what Shaheen said. Shaheen gave some numbers. I would like to add to that list of fighters, Shaheen, um, because while it's all well and good to talk about some of the pioneers of women's MMA, uh, I like to think of this in terms of, we've talked a lot about pride veterans because pride was a very big, important moment to us. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko could have easily been fighting in like real pride, not the couple of US show prides. Like she could have been in that. Uh, Fedor Emelianenko made his debut like three years before her. Not Jeez, a lot of time. Man. Not not a lot of time that Fedor made his professional debut. <laughs> uh, Sh- Mauricio Shogun Hua made his debut five months before Valentina Shevchenko made her debut. So that kind of gives you the time frame here, because Shogun's been washed for like twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> and and just retired and Valentina's is still out here and i'm making light of it to some extent but casey and i were talking about this in the presser uh i think i think we can say pretty definitively that shevchenko t- time is coming for her some of that is the division catching up some of it is just more physical people coming into this division uh over years and time but I she's losing her fastball. It's not all the way gone. She can still be very competitive. I'm not here to bury her totally, but uh Casey and I were talking about it afterwards, and I don't know who I'll pick in a rematch because Shevchenko was winning that fight. But the two things Casey and I struck on were one that's a that's supposed to be a good fight for her. Like the analysis from most people going in was Grosso was one of the better matchups for Shevchenko stylistically, and I think that that's still true. Like, just looking at what her game is traditionally, even what, obviously, we underestimated Grosso to some extent. She exceeded expectations, but I still think the bulk of that is true. Of like, well, Grosso can can compete on the feet, but she is not going to knock Shevchenko out. And largely, Shevchenko is the better grappler, and for most of the fight, that held true. But then, obviously, the finish happens. So, if that's the good matchup for her, and she's not really putting a stamp on it anymore, she can't. That that's no longer in the bag. What do the bad matchups look f- like for her? And this is the second thing Casey and I talked about. And maybe not the oh, ov- like the big takeaway, but um, the takeaway that I think is going to stick with me the longest here is. Yeah, Aaron Blanchfield might have been right when she was just like, I'm mm-hmm. better than all you people. I'm better than all of y'all. I just need the chance to prove it uh, because God love Alexa Grasso. Tremendous performance can never take that away from her. I would feel very confident picking Aaron Blanchfield to beat her. And at this stage right now, I can't, the, me, the number one Shevchenko supporter, the driver of the bullet train, the, the leader of the Chevy truck, Aaron Blanchfield would take that woman down and choke her out. Because Alexa Grasso, that's not her game. And she did it with authority when the opportunity happened. If that's Aaron Blanchfield on the back, it's not a face crank. She is finishing that with with something serious. So full credit to Alexa Grasso. She exceeded all my expectations. Uh, But I also think that it's fair to say Shevchenko is, is maybe on the downside. And good for her. She fought it off for 20 years. (laughs) For 20 years, she avoided it. Most fighters can only pull that off for like 10. So if this is the end of peak Shevchenko, hell of a career. Uh, One of one is correct,
2: Shaheen. 100%. So, Shaheen, let me ask you this. If you were the matchmaker, if you had the book, are you running this right back or are you giving Aaron a shot first and maybe Valentina, we do the rematch of Tyla now? Like, why not? Or maybe Menin Fioro? Give Shevchenko something else besides a title fight for the first time in a million years, it feels like? Or do we just... I mean, look, either... I don't think there's a real wrong answer here. I think a lot of fans, from a reactionary perspective, are going to be like, oh, another immediate rematch? Oh, come on. Like, we've seen immediate rematches all the time. But obviously, Valentina, seven title defenses. If anybody deserves an immediate rematch, it's her. But if you had the magic pencil, are you running that right back or are you giving Aaron the shot first?
3: No, I mean it does. There is a wrong answer. Like the wrong answer is not doing the immediate rematch. The, the, that's the only real option here, right? Like it, like we uh, can crap on immediate rematches all we want, but they are deserved in certain instances. And this is one of those instances where you have someone, a champion who was so dominant for so long. Uh, and who was, who was winning that fight up until the exact moment where she lost that fight. Like that is what an immediate rematch is, is for. Like this is the, to do anything other than an immediate rematch would be such an immense disrespect to the legacy and, and dominance that, that. Valentina Shevchenko has has displayed over the course of X number of years at this point, right? Like how long has she been champion at this point? The Ioana fight was in 2019, right? I believe uh, 18, I think. So I think we're coming on five. So yeah, like come on, man. Well, you, December
4: you of eighteen, so for... You
3: dominate a, a, di- a division for half a decade. You you get an immediate rematch. Like that's just how this works. And it's funny because I, I agree with Jed in the respect that the biggest loser to me tonight was someone who didn't even fight, and that was Aaron Blanchfield. Because you know, I, for the, for our website, I do a post fight takeaways column, and my takeaway as I'm watching this fight, I was writing this up, was going to be, uh, you know, like this was obviously when Valentino was winning was hey, maybe Alexa Grasso didn't win this fight, but this fight proved to me that Aaron Blanchfield will be that person who will win and finally end this reign of of Valentina Shevchenko. That was sort of the theme that I was headed towards until all of this changed in a matter of seconds. If I'm Aaron Blanchfield, I can't help but think that I'm watching this fight tonight, just, just seeing what Alexa Grasso did and knowing in your mind that you could have replicated that and you could have had that moment that will now live forever in MMA history of Alexa Grasso being the one to end this title reign. So no, I mean, I think you have to... absolutely do the rematch and unfortunately for aaron i think she'll probably have to fight one more time now uh to defend her spot as this number one contender while this whole saga plays out because i don't know that this is one that's going to be run back in two months right like this we don't know the timeline yet on this so i don't know that she'll be aaron blanchfield's so young she's probably not going to just sit around for that whole entire time
2: yeah and and i think the timing thing is 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 what really like takes a full circle for me jed because Let's just say Valentina is like, look, 20 years I've been doing this. I've been champion for a long time. Like I want to take a year off. Like I don't want to come back to like a year from now. Are they just going to wait a year for Valentina to come back or should they try to move the division forward and when Valentina is ready to come back, she could just fight for the belt?
4: Uh, they're not going to wait a year. Um, I, I am a man of principle. You know my stance on this. I hate immediate rematches. The only time that I think that they should happen is when fighters have split two previous ones and it's a trilogy bout. Okay, then run it. Uh, Let's get that solution, but I don't care that you were dominant. Um, Much respect to that, but you you fight them on the night and it has always felt uh, cheap to make someone do it twice uh, in these instances. So if I had my druthers, they wouldn't run this back. Uh... Grasso would get to defend her belt against, I mean, it would be Aaron Blanchfield. And I mean, I do actually think Shevchenko and Santos would make a ton of sense right now. So you could do that or, you know, anybody else just make her get one. That's not what's going to happen. They are... 95% going to run this back. I will throw in a minor caveat because I don't think the timeline issue will be Shevchenko saying, I don't want to fight for a year. That's not how she's wired. Uh, She probably knows that there's not too much tread left on her tires one way or the other after you've been in the sport for 20 years. Uh, She's going to want to get back in there in general. The question for me will be, will Shevchenko want to get back in at whatever this upcoming Mexico City card is, the UFC is going to go to Mexico City at this point. And and if you're going to Mexico City, you're going with Moreno-Pantoja and you're going with Grasso's first title defense. That's just it. If you're not doing that, that's promotional malpractice. And so at that point, the question is, is Shevchenko willing to compete on that timeline for the belt? And uh, I'm assuming she will be, and that's what will happen. But if she's not, then Blanchfield gets to go in. Uh, but if Glentil doesn't and has to fight one, cool. Uh, she can go tune up Manafio real fast and still hold, you know, hold serve right now. But uh, the flyweight division is more interesting right now than it was 12 hours ago, which is cool because this has certainly not been a division that has been the most captivating for the last four years, basically. So we at least have that taking away from here. Um.
2: Yeah. So those are the two title fights. We'll obviously be breaking a lot more of that down throughout the week, but.
5: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work.
3: Let's do this. The man is here.
2: here. I think think Shafka's always been here, but I think he needed this fight. And while I was incredibly wrong about the Shevchenko-Grasso fight, I felt pretty good about a lot of the breakdowns I had with a lot of the other fights, including this one. Jeff was very competitive. Jeff Neal was very competitive in this fight. It was a banger. The fight absolutely ruled. It ruled so much that Dana White actually gave Jeff Neal a fight of the night bonus Despite missing weight by four pounds, that's how competitive and fun this fight was. But in the end, Shafkar Rachmanov is just a freaking bull. That choke was incredible. That was just pure grit. That was just pure, you know, bouncer choking out a drunk dude in the middle of the street who thinks he can beat him up. Like this was street justice. And Shafkar Rachmanov is the truth, Shaheen. That was something else. What a fight. What a performance. Exactly what this guy needed. He is a problem in a half, is he not,
3: dude? Mike. <laughs> God <laughs> damn, man! I needed a towel off after that. Like that. Like he Jones Machida him. He Jones Machida that man. Like that is going to be the co- most cold blooded finish we see in all of twenty twenty three. Just dropping him like a sack of potatoes, like John Jones did to Leoto Machida all those years ago. Like that. Oh my God, Mike! That was that was. I agree with what your, your, your take on the fight going into it. And it actually ended up being very prescient. It ended up being very, I think on, on the mark in this, in the respect that this was almost like the way that this welterweight division has worked out has been interesting to watch because we had Hamzat Shumayev come up and he was sort of this guy, but alongside him always, there was sort of the Shavkat Rakhmonov. If you're a more hardcore fan, you kind of knew this guy was sort of, he was on that maybe, you know, Feels like he's on that same level, but we didn't know it yet. Uh, But Hamzat was always the one getting the headlines. He was always the one getting the hype and the bigger fights. And so they weren't quite running parallel, but it was always that question of like, who's actually this boogeyman at 170? Who's actually the next guy coming up? And this was very much felt like in the moment, his Gilbert Burns moment, right? Like his moment moment to graduate into your fighting now, the elite of the – Uh, Like, you're in the elite of this division. Things are no longer easy once you're fighting the elite of of, of any division. Like, you're just not walking through these guys in the same way that you were before. And this is the test, right? Like, he, he gets thrown into this... Take it's taken a deep waters. I mean, you could say whatever you want about his striking defense. You certainly we certainly learned tonight that that man has a hell of a chin on him to the point where it's almost scary, like how little those shots from Jeff Neal seem to affect Shavkat. But ultimately, like he passed all of this in my eyes with flying colors. And I said beforehand that I believe Shavkat Rachmanov is who we all have been saying Hamza Shamayev is, he is that reckoning. For that older generation at 170, he is the guy who is going to come up and just de- just demolish this old guard that we have at 170 that is flying around the top right now. I feel more confident of that than I ever have before. Like I, I, I don't think Habsat Shamayev will. Is he's? Lo- I don't think he's long for 170. I don't know if he'll even fight 170 again. So I don't even think that we're going to get a chance to see these two guys sort of face off at the top of the division. That would be so good and fun if we could. But either way, like Shavkat Raghmanov is no longer coming. Shavkat Raghmanov is here. Like he is, he is unavoidable now, and I feel sorry for the dudes who are about to have to fight him, whether that's a Colby Covington or someone else, a Bilal Muhammad who has worked so hard to get to the spot where he is, and then all of a sudden is going to have to fight a guy like this because this, to me, it's inevitable at this point. Shavkat Rahmanov will be a UFC champion, and it might be sooner rather than later after a night like this. Like this is the definition of a breakout night, uh, and I, you have to love it. Like right, like our our our, our producer here. Casey made a great point that like this whole rise has not been predicated on the normal traditional ways that we see big prospects rise. It's not Twitter trash talk. It's not in cage, you know, interviews trash talking. It's not just like some sort of promotional fire. It's just based on pure unrestrained, unadulterated, pure violence. That's all this is. This man is violence personified. We've seen it every step of the way through his ride. And and, and now like, dude again the way he finished Jeff tonight was like that is something you could just show somebody who doesn't know anything about MMA and they're gonna be so just mind blown and eyes glued to the TV and wanting to see what this guy does next. That was an incredible finish, man! Incredible fight, incredible performance, incredible finish. finish. You cannot say enough good things about Shavkat, and I am so ready and, and just cannot wait, and I'm excited to see him put up against now the big, big dogs at 170 because he's here. It's it's like the, that's unavoidable at this point. And so whether it's a Colby Covington or a, a Blah Muhammad or somebody else. I'm looking forward to it. I think I know already how that's going to play out.
2: Yeah. I don't think Colby's coming back for that fight by any totally. stretch of the imagination. Sit, sit on the sidelines, man. Don't do it. Don't do it. But to what kind of what Shaheen was just saying, Jed, my thought at the end of this was if you're Bilal Muhammad right now, who watched that all unfold, you are the biggest Kamara Usman fan on the planet right now, because if Leon Edwards beats Kamar Usman again, that's your fate. You're fighting Shafka Rachmanov next. Do well, you think so? You know, yeah, because if if I think if, if Mazadal beats, I mean if Mazadal beats Gilbert Burns, we know Masvidal is fighting for the belt against Leon. He's super not uh, and, doing that, but yeah. Right. And and I think if Gilbert wins, that might be enough. It's a fresh matchup, et cetera. But if Usman wins, Usman's already fought everybody else, so Bilal will get the shot. And if that doesn't happen, then Bilal's probably going to have to fight Shafkot to get his title shot. So I was just like, oh, man, like if if Leon Edwards somehow beats Usman again, Bilal is going to have to fight this guy on this incredible win streak. He's on just a tough spot for him, man, because I like I just don't know who like what else can happen. Shafkot just in such a weird spot right now. And this division with Colby, who's probably not going to come back and take that fight. There's like nobody else. And, like, him and Gilbert, I think, kind of train together, and it's just a weird position to be in. I don't know who the hell is going to want to fight this guy, especially after this performance tonight.
4: Yeah, I don't think that there's a world where it's not Bilal versus Shavkat next, just to be frank. Like, I, I – you mean, you're the matchmaker. You are much better at this than I am, so I will preface this with that. But I don't think that either outcome at the at 286 is – Neither dude is fighting Bilal next. I don't think. If I had to guess, I would say that there's maybe at least a little bit more heat for, for Bilal Leon because they did, you know, uh, sort of almost fight that one time before there were some eye pokes. So I, I just you're just not getting it off that. Like you he's just gonna need some someone else. And as you said, who else? Who else? Who else is there? There's none. And so, I think if I'm Bilal. I've been exceptionally bad at calling for fights, like just horrifically bad at using my post-mic time. Uh, I would just get on – I would just bang the drum right now because the Hamza call-outs that were kind of made are good if – but we have no idea if hamza actually is ever coming back to 170 and you just do it with shavkat it's they're not the same fighter but it they represent the same things you know shavkat is at 170 and at this point if you fight shavkat and beat him you get it that you can't be denied at that point in time because shavkat aside from you totally deserving it from a meritocratic standpoint shavkat is building a cult of personality right like he's i was talking again talking with casey on this in the on the pressure show like he's the spiritual successor to habib he is welterweight habib in the way he fights is much more similar than islam to habib the fact that you know habib's early run he didn't have great mic skills he had a fun hat and you know what shavkat has he has a fun hat and he even gave that gave a second fun hat joe rogan and it was a hilarious image like you can get by on that sort of gimmick and just ha- producing an in cage violence that is captivating in the way Shafgat has, and and get really far with it. And I think he is generating that buzz now. Like he he's building that. And so I think any way you slice it, Bilal's just got to fight him. And so to uh, steer into the skid, Bilal, because if you win, then you can get your title shot, and and they no one will take it away from you at that point. And if you lose, well, you were never getting a title shot by sitting on the sidelines at this juncture. So, I would suspect strongly that that's the next fight. I'll submit that for my ought no point now. Thank you, Mike Hick. Right.
3: Advise, advising this man to call out Shavkat is a hell of a. Like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hire you to advise me on anything. Let's say that.
4: Well, no one should. Have we not talked about the financial <laughs> ruin
3: that I suffered
4: tonight enough? I'm obviously a moron.
2: (laughs) Fair. Uh, Shafkot's just so funny because, like, if in most UFC fights, when a guy gets punched and they smile, you think they're just trying to put on a front because they got hurt. I think Shafkot really enjoyed getting punched in the face tonight. Like, truly enjoyed it. Like, thought it was the best thing that ever happened to him. He just had so much fun in there. Every time Jeff cracked him and we reacted to it, he just smiled at him. It was just, he's a terrifying individual. And I cannot wait to see where he is at like a year, 18 months from now, because he is an absolute problem. So, what a win for him. What a fight. And nice win for Batush Gamrod against Jalen Turner. I do want to talk about Bo Nichols, Shaheen. Went in there, submits Jamie Pickett quick. A lot of talk. Uh, Need, him Need him in the
3: nuts. Need him in the nuts too.
2: You know. I think there's a yeah, there's a little knee there, and we were watching it during the Look, watch was party. And there was a cheating, guys. It was a big hey, night for cheating. It
3: was a big night for cheating. If you're not cheating, but not trying.
2: Jamie Pickett seems going to appeal it. It appears probably not going to go anywhere, but it is what you know, it is. It's yeah, but Bo Nickel goes in there and gets quick submission win. How would you How would you grade his octagon debut, Shaheen?
3: Yeah, I'll give you a spoiler warning on that Jamie Pickett appeal. That's definitely not going to go anywhere. Like that's failing. I'm I'm sorry, guy. Uh it's it's run it back. It's, it's the only just thing to do. <laughs> run it's it back. It's an unjust world. It's an unjust world. And unfortunately that's just the way clarity. things fall. Uh but yeah, I mean, you, you asked me to grade him on a on a scale, I would say A minus, B plus. I think that I think the the low blow that did sort of went unnoticed and and or at least unnoticed by the referee looms a little bit large. But I think a lot of people also have the sensibility to understand that this fight was only going to end one way, and it was going to end with Bo Nickel winning. There's a reason he was a twenty to one favorite. He was the biggest favorite on the card for a reason. This fight was made for a reason. Uh, I mean, he's one of the greatest prospects we've ever seen in MMA, at least in the last ten years. And Jamie Pickett has a 500 record, right? Like this is Dana White likes to say there are no gimme fights in the UFC. Uh, this is as close to a did you see the size of that gimme. man's legs? Uh, it was
4: <laughs> that was the best part of the whole yeah, post I mean, fight but- presser is Dana having nothing to say about Jamie Pickett. Other did you see the size of his legs as a real guy? He fought in there
3: yeah <laughs> but I mean Bo Nickel, Bo nickel did what bone nickel needed to do he he and really the ultimate part of this that was going to matter was how do you acc- acclimate yourself how do you quit yourself to the big stage like this like he this is a man who has been in big spots before throughout his career he is no used to he, he is you no stranger I should say to the lights he's very much used to these type of moments but this is by far the biggest sort of setup that he has been that he has walked into in his athletic career and he looks like he belonged, man like Maybe he was pressing it a little bit at the beginning and maybe he was trying to rush for a finish, but ultimately he looked like he belonged and I'm very, very excited and interested to see, A, how how quickly this whole thing gets expedited, whether he gets an opportunity to really grow into himself as a martial artist before getting the rub and – push up propelled up that division or if they're just going to Alex Pereira this and just try to figure out a quick way for him to get into contention Um and then be just you know how high he really can rise because I think a lot of people including myself feel like this is someone who will be a UFC champion but before all of this is said is done said and done um, he said his goal is to be the greatest fighter ever p- number one pound for pound so let's see man if, if this was the first step it was certainly a worthwhile first step he, he, he did his best he, he passed the test as best he could outside of of the uh, nutshot, of course.
2: Are you grading this performance higher than Raul Rosa Rosa's Jr.'s octagon debut, Jed?
4: Um, probably not. I don't remember what I graded that. Um, look, he's getting an A minus, he, he fell over when he threw the kick. I mean, you got to dock him points for that, right? Like, he can, didn't <laughs> throw the head kick, so you got to just right out of the gate can't get an A plus from that and then uh you know he didn't have the cleanest technique when finishing that arm triangle it took him a little bit they talked about it in the commentary like he got there in the end um but you know it's i mean what w- we're nitpicking at the, like this dude is the best prospect we've ever seen in the sport like just maybe maybe henry sahudo like maybe henry Cejudo is is a better prospect but it's it's the same like we're, we're talking about the same very like levels at this point I would be very surprised if he never fought for UFC belt during his career uh I would be at least somewhat surprised if he didn't win the title frankly whenever that time comes I'm not saying that time comes next year or in two years but there's just a different level of athlete that is is competing right now like so we do get you know the uh the roschaults or whatever the guys who are these decorated amateur wrestlers who can't quite convert but think about the history of wrestling pro- like of wrestling converts you know yes i'm he did not make a, a us olympic team he happens to compete at probably the best like weight range in american wrestling at the moment with david taylor jaden cox in it um you're talking about two world champions david taylor the current olympic gold medalist like those are the guys he's competing with he said on the mma hour if i could have stuck with it i think i would have made an olympic squad probably won a a gold medal and that's not a ridiculous statement you can't take it as a fact that it would have happened but like It was that is was entirely within the range and perhaps even probable over the long term. He left because he had those guys in front of him, and that's that's a tough hill to climb when he wants to do this. So we're talking about that level of athlete. I'm Yoel Romero has had a pretty good MMA career. Henry Cejudo doing all right for himself. Daniel Cormier not too shabby. Like that's the kind of guy we're talking about with Bo Nickel, and I expect fully for that to be the kind of career we're talking about with him. So he he does he's beyond grades. This is just sit back and watch and let's see what happens because it's gonna be a show.
2: All right. Well that's the main card. Obviously we had some moments on the prelims as well. Drick is two plus C, finishes Derek Brunson. Very strange fight. Maybe quite possibly Derek's final fight. He put out a tweet that seemed to imply that he might retire without actually saying the word retire. Mm-hmm. So He's we'll stay tuned for that. Years. Cody Garbrandt got a win. It uh, wasn't the most thrilling victory, but uh, a win nonetheless. He is back on track. Uh, we got Amanda Hibas getting a decision win over Viviane Arujo. Marc Andre Barrio gets a standing TKO against Julian Marquez. Ian Machado Gary, a little adversity. But comes back and finishes Kanan Song in the third. Cameron Simon just getting point after point after point taken away from him. Doesn't Cheating matter. his ass off. Cheating his ass off, but still wins. Uh Arichi, nice submission win over Jessica Penne. Freed Basharat. had to work for it as a pretty sizable favorite against Amon Blackshear, but he gets it done. And then like, uh Radziboff. Defeats Esteban Ribavich in a in a pretty fun fight to kick off the festivities. So, uh, Casey, if there's a couple of really compelling questions, we can take them. Otherwise, I have a I compelling question.
4: I would love to hear it. Is Cody Garbrandt done? Is he cooked? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That's... I I think so, but I just didn't know if that like if this is me being I mean, on one of my corners or if like I watched that fight and was just like, oh, Cody's cooked. Got it.
3: No, I mean, we. I said during the Bo Nickel conversation that, you know, Dan always likes to say, oh, we don't give people gimme fights in the UFC. That was, the Cody Garbrandt-Trevin Jones fight was as much of a gimme fight as you could possibly, like, that was a gift from the matchmakers to Cody Garbrandt. You're giving, again, that's another person who is 24 fights deep in his, his MMA career, his pro MMA career, and basically has a 500 record. And that was as, like, that's as the best possible option they could give cody garbrandt to hey here's a guy go put something on your highlight reel get some momentum back and so we can start you know just putting you back to where you who you used to be and man that was did anybody come away from this wanting to talk about cody garbrandt like that was just not the type of performance and even in the third round we saw the, the old issues arise the chin issues the same things that we've been saying about this guy for for years i think this is just who he is i think we're gonna have he's gonna be a very bizarre person 10 15 years down the line for people to look back on who weren't around for it to be like hey what what's up with this cody garbarant fella like how did he have this incredible performance against dominic cruz and then just completely fall off the face of the earth um but i mean it just feels like this is who this guy is at this point and he might be it's it's too far past to, to be able to recapture it
4: okay yeah. just wanted to
3: make sure because
4: yeah, <laughs> well, like it was, it was, it was, it was, a, was a yes or no like,
3: question sean jeez yeah, yeah. like yeah. I I, I still go with Damon to make though. Sure
4: that I was right.
3: I still go I, with Damon though. I think Dominic Cruz Garbrandt too is the perfect fight for, for everybody involved. And by the way, both those dudes have only won two fights each in the last like seven years since that first fight, which is insane to me. I, I guess I'm what, what, you, What's the
5: scale of Dunn? What do you mean Dunn? Do we mean like is he ever gonna fight for a title? Is he a top ten fighter? Is he UFC caliber? What what is
4: what- I think he is I think he is going to lose more fights than he wins from here on out. He he still is athletic, which is it's it, he's actually just fascinating. I'm going to love watching like his career back cuz he his problem is not that his athleticism is gone and that's normally like, oh, father time caught up to you. That fight to me is just like, oh, he now knows that he has zero durability and can't take a shot. And so he is fighting petrified of ever getting hit and that's not a way to be a professional fighter like you just physically cannot compete in the sport if you have have no durability and more to the point have no confidence in your lack of durability like it's that's just too big of a burden to overcome
5: i agree with you but i want to throw out the name andre aronofsky in the sense that we, we said can't that you before.
4: can't use him to no Andrei Olovsky is a unicorn who doesn't make sense. He's <laughs> the only fighter to ever come back from like four different five fight losing streaks. He is he is the exception that proves the rule, Casey. All right. He I, I, is out of out of it. You can't put him in
3: there. He doesn't make sense. Also though, Andrei Arlovsky is, the whole, with, is with not. The whole-
5: the whole he never thing became,
3: of, like, a real contender again, though, either, right? Like, but, maybe he had a but, moment there. Oh, for he did. a, second. He <laughs> had no, a moment no, no, for having but that more speaks to the heavyweight division and the state it was in during that time. Like, he's he was just still a guy who was middling around at the end bottom end of the top 15. If well, that, yeah, he never regained
5: that same status, but... I guess, I guess. Oh, you guys are mis-
3: you guys are misremembering Andrzej Lofsky.
4: When he fought Stipe, it was like a title. Eliminator. Yeah, he was. He that's rough, what I mean. He was one fight, one fight away from that's
5: fighting for the another yeah. another title. But he
4: was doing the backhand. He still couldn't throw his left hand but he could use his right hand to back fist. It's hilarious. <laughs> I love Andrzej Lofsky so
5: much. <laughs> I know
4: he's I know. one <laughs> of my favorite fighters ever.
5: Cody, even with a victory tonight, did look washed, but I'm going to give him one more fight. I'm going to give him one more fight before we... Because I, I, I feel like the whole chin thing, because it's mental. Like, he's just scared he doesn't have a chin. When you still do have a chin, it's just a mental thing. Like, if I get touched, I will pass out. So I'm going to give him a little bit of leeway. But that, that fight had to be very disappointing for the UFC in the sense that that was the main event prelim. Which is an important fight. That's that's fight that's probably watched by the most people live, at least. So um, yeah. yeah. So UFC definitely had to be bummed out about that that performance. Um, as far as any other questions,
4: well, particularly because they landed a combined forty six strikes. Jeez.
5: I knew it was bad. It was bad. I didn't bad, realize bad. it was yeah. that low. <laughs> that's yeah. tough. And and can't all
2: the blame on Cody either because Trevin didn't show up I Trevin oh, had the biggest Tre- opportunity Trevin was of his not life. trying to fight Yeah I mean this my, the, couldn't too, get any bigger for him
3: Yeah My thing but, too is just like where do you even like you you Casey you say you want to see one more fight and like I understand that but like well, If you don't he can't release him No <laughs> I don't No no I know that I'm just saying like if you don't go the cruise route Oh What no, else really can you do like I don't know I don't see anything out there that's a winnable fight for Cody Garbrandt in the top. 20, oh, you, oh, you're looking 25. for winnable.
4: Oh,
5: got it.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm not. Are so you just thinking to him at the altar or else. Uh,
5: Honey, Yaya yeah, yeah would have beaten that Cody uh, Garbrandt tonight. Oh, I just yeah.
4: want to see Davison yeah. Figueroa versus Cody Garbrandt. We've been promised <laughs> it for years. We get to see Figgy move up to 135. Cody thought he could win that fight once upon a time. Let's go. Let's see what happens.
5: I kind of. I that feels he, like just step down for Di- for Figueredo, who who is just no, champion. it's not. It's, it's not. He's it's moving a, up. He's moving he's gotta up. He's got to get his feet wet in the weight that is, class. that is a that is a giant name with a
4: for former you know, champion. He gets to put on a slab.
3: Yeah, he's still guy. Yeah, Cody's yeah. still. it's the
4: champion. only fight I want. It's the only fight I want for that man.
3: <laughs> I want true. him fighting people who matter at one thirty-five, rather than someone who we've all openly stated doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things at one thirty-five.
5: Biggie? Yeah,
2: we're yeah biggie. but he is that division is just so loaded right now. We got to give him an introduction, and that's about as good as you can get. And if he goes out there and does what he is probably going to be heavily favored to do, then he can get some of those bigger. But like Cody Garbrand's still a bigger name than a lot of the ranked guys he could fight right now Absolutely. and would go over also, more.
4: Also, Shaheen, just to throw this out there, used to calling for the cruise rematch, while it's honestly not a terrible idea either. So we're clear, Cruz is still like a ranked guy. So Cody, by definition, would matter with that one. Like, it's just kind of how weird they exist in that weight class. Cause, like, I'm the opposite. I have no interest in seeing Figueredo fight like Adrian Yanez. Yanez was kill him. It's I'm not interested in seeing him get murdered, but that feels like a fun fight, at least.
3: I just I want Don to get a chance at that one again. And I, I know we don't have many I, Tom I, fights left.
5: I, I like, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Cody's still a name. He has to win. I think there's some. There's, there's one more. One more cool fight. I
4: see it. You you just want Dom to get that one back. Okay, I'm with you now. I'm just
3: curious. I'm curious, okay. I'm curious okay. what that looks like seven years later when both these guys are kind of at the end of it.
4: What if it looks the exact same? Wouldn't that be hilarious? That'd be awesome. if if that's just would awesome. That'd be so cool. If he's just like the Dennis Hallman, only he actually got to fight yeah. Cruz when Cruz had the belt instead of Hallman <laughs> tapping Matthews for no reason. Like, yes, it would rule.
5: Um. I just we really don't
3: have, have
5: questions huge. about That's okay. DDP yeah, yeah. or... Yeah, <laughs> DDP. Jeez. Oh man,
3: um, that was the good. most DDP fight. Like that was, that was the, the most DDP, DDP. That was the DDP most Greg Brunson was fight ever. That, that was, was the yeah, most. Like, that was perfect like, for both of those guys, man. That fight was Chef's beautiful. Kiss.
5: That fight was be- the, the the best worst fight I've ever seen. Not best. Well, yeah, of this year at least. That was like the rock old Costa of this year. You know, just like, just, just. This fight's horrible. I'm sorry. I love
3: it. Rocco so so you, DDP-
4: you mean my number three fight of 2022,
3: Rocco? <laughs> yeah. I hope DDP just sloppies his way into like a five-fight title reign somehow. Like I'm just so here for whatever this is. This is so fun. I've never seen a man get so you, tired
5: so fast, and yet somehow you know fight that's not going happen.
4: I. I my great hope for him is that he doesn't have to fight someone who will end this run in a in a way that's not compelling. Like I don't need to see him do this and then lose like a decision to Marvin Vittori who simply just out cardios him. I need to see him do this against Alex Bejetta and just get <laughs> get clobbered. Just diving in <laughs> recklessly and just get annihilated. That's how this needs to
5: end, not in the sadder way. Is DDP versus Strickland an awesome fight,
3: or is that? I'm
4: mm-hmm. pretty sure Sean Strickland is opposed to having awesome fights. So, I, have
3: to I do. I it. really like the Costa one. The Costa I
2: mean, one. The Costa one makes I mean, sense too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if Costa takes that
3: fight or
4: gets paid.
2: I think Costa take just that. takes
3: any fight. I think Costa just wants to get out of this contract. And he's got one left. Maybe. Is,
4: is Jared Cannonier fighting somebody? Cause
3: that was my other pick. I had thrown that Look, out. On I'm, Twitter. I'm in. I like
4: am in. <laughs> that fight Brandon would Allen's also be very fun and very, very stupid.
5: Yeah, stupid. That's the key word.
4: I mean, look, I I will watch any DDP fight. All of them will be fun, except maybe Sean Strickland, because he's opposed to fun. But the rest of them will all be enjoyable. Just give him Izzy. Give him the loser of Pejeta-Izzy rematch. (laughs) Whoever loses that one, that goes to DDP. That's my pick.
5: Okay. We good, good, Mr. Heck? We good? We're good.
2: Oh, we're good. I have officially been awake for 25 and a half straight hours, so... Uh, I think we're good. All right, you can hit the music. Hope you guys enjoyed Shop- the night. This is
4: a damn good one.
5: Shout to Jalen Turner. About?
4: I still believe oh. in you. Same.
5: That was, we were still so, looking still, forward to like, that fight. Still we need to talk about it. We were like, that was the fight we I still got season tickets
2: to yeah. that fight. Or to that guy? Yeah. There'll be plenty season of time tickets. to talk about that fight. Uh, yeah. Good win for Matousch Gamrot. Uh, Jalen right, Turner right. showed that he can compete at this level, and he'll be back. I'll be back. It's just a, a, a little bit of a setback for the tarantula, but it's a good fight. So thank you for watching. Hope you guys enjoyed all the content. Big shout out to Jose Young's doing the damn thing in Las Vegas. Boots on the ground. Did a fantastic job. So for Shaheen, Casey, for Jed, I am Mike Hag. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. Well, actually, we'll see you this morning, 11 a.m. <laughs> Eastern. On to the next one. Good night, everybody. Love y'all.